Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week, and this time with two very, very special guests, Adrian Cowan and Jack Costo from Seven Spires. Welcome, guys. How are you? Hello. Hey, how's it going? We are uh, very good, very warm here in South Carolina, and we're happy to be here. Awesome, and uh, we're we're happy to have you. You know, it's funny we got a request um, a number of months ago from one of our listeners, Matt Craig, and he wanted to hear our discussion on uh, the newest Seven Spires release, Emerald Seas, and uh, that's why we were uh, you know, we got in touch with you guys, and we're so happy that you could be here with us um, to discuss uh, your your latest release and 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 how timely uh, on the heels of a new single that was uh, dropped earlier this week. So thank you again, and. Um, with that, I guess we'll get right into it. Um, you know, you guys kind of exploded onto the scene, really, with 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 Salveg, your 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 debut release. When when you started, you know, writing that album, did you have any idea that the follow up and ultimately the third album were all going to be kind of part of the same story, if you will? You know, not really. I kind of actually remember being worried after we put out or after we had finished writing the first album, it was like, what, what happens now? Not just with the story, but now I've told, we've told the story that we wanted to tell. So what do we, what do we do now? Guess we're just going to have to (laughs) go with it and see. So yeah, basically, no, we didn't, we didn't know. Yeah. It sort of uh, turned into a lot more than we originally thought it would be. That's interesting because I, I the way I mean it, it seems to flow so seamlessly that I almost got the sense that it was like a plan from the beginning or something like that. So that's that's interesting to me and, and quite frankly surprising. And then uh, you know I, I guess as we move forward into the uh, the upcoming release, um, I was I guess that was also a, a kind of the third piece of the plan that just kind of came together. Kind of yeah. We actually this is a funny thing. I was just talking to Chris about this last night, but the original plan was to put out the album that we're going to put out as our second record and then put out Emerald Seas as our third record. I don't remember why that was the plan or why it changed. I I remember why it changed. It's because we used themes from Emerald Seas um, (laughs) sort of as motifs in the upcoming album. Um, And we had to switch them around or nobody would know what the hell is going on. That's All right, so uh, that that that's you know, that's interesting, and that makes sense. But but I guess the, the none of the songs had been written, right? Is it fair to say that it was all kind of just you had the concept, the concept or the idea, but then it just kind of fell into place that way? We had a handful of the songs from album three written at the time, and they've gone through a lot of drafts. So don't worry, they'll still be fresh. But. <laughs> You look like you want to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, um, we are the the music that gets written is collected over probably many years and then fine tuned into what becomes the albums. So uh, it could be that there are riff ideas or song ideas on album three that were written around when we did stuff from Solve or they're newer than that. And it, so the music kind of comes from all over the time stream, um, if that makes sense. Oh, totally, totally, and and I, I guess to that point, you know, the 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 debut comes out with such you know rave reviews. Did you find that you were under a lot of pressure to top it with 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 the second release? 
yes and no. I mean, we always want to do better on the next thing that we're doing than we did on the previous one. And I think we all felt that individually and uh, artistically as far as uh, the parts we were doing for our own instruments and stuff. But I feel like we all knew Emerald Seas is such a different, um, well, maybe not that different, but it's a different area than the previous record. So we weren't really worried about um, doing the same thing, but better, but doing a different thing just as well as we did the first one. <laughs> I'm always concerned about outdoing myself. I am always under pressure from myself. That's why I wanted you to answer that. <laughs> Every, because your answer would have been as the ever perfectionist, I guess it's got to be better, right? Can't go backwards. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is stressful. Yep. All right. Well, before we get uh, before we do a deep dive into Emerald Seas, I want to talk a little bit about your appearance at Prague Power um, back on September 9th of 2017. I remember that day well, in part because it was my birthday. But oh. I, is it fair? Yeah, it was. It was. I, I remember very vividly for for a number of reasons, not least of which um, was your show. Was it fair to say that that was kind of the biggest show of your young careers up to that point? I. Th- I guess so that I'm having, oh, we had just played at metal days, which was supposed to be a huge thing ah. it's a festival in, um, at Tolman, Slovenia, but we got rained out so horribly. I heard it described as a biblical amount of rain. So it should have been an awesome, like huge show. And then it, it was still a good one, but like uh, technical issues aside, um, it didn't measure up to what we thought it should have been. So yes, I think Prague Power was the biggest thing that we had done at that point. And well, I, I mean, I guess uh, our gain, I guess it's just, it's funny because I know that you'd also played 70,000 tons of metal as well. But again, it's, you know, even though it's a, it's a nice size crowd because of the four different shows going on at the same time, sometimes it's, it's a little bit um, all over the place. Yeah. It's so different and it's just uh, logistically. And as a festival, it's so hard to top Prague power. Uh, It's just run so well. And the people there are so nice. You know, it's a lot of return people every year Um, and the venue's beautiful. The sound's always great. It's just, it's really hard to top Prague power in any way. Yeah. It's, it's a really positive experience, both as an attendee and as an artist, I always enjoy myself when I'm there and it's like, I don't know. It's definitely 70,000 tons was such a huge stress, at least for me, because, okay, so you have to get to where you're going. But in order to get there, you have to wade through like thousands of people. And then like you have to make sure that you're awake. But then if you didn't sleep, you know, it's there's just no sleeping on the boat and then having to sing like that. It's like so (laughs) everything is stressful, like Jack said. It's funny you mentioned that. I've been trying to get Chris to come on with me um, for a while, and and I'm not sure that the whole no sleeping thing is really going to um, inspire any confidence to seeing him come on (laughs) when they set sail again. Any thoughts? Chris? Chris? Oh, um, well, not getting a lot of sleep is something I'm fairly used to, I guess, so I don't think it would be that big of a deal. But um, I I did want to ask, so – the the way that the whole prog power performance kind of fell into place was very last minute. Um, uh, kind of describe the whole process and how you found out, how you were asked, and and um, how quickly you were able to just uh, say yes and get everybody in the band together to to pull off this this last minute performance. 
Yeah, so this is actually um I I was attending that year just uh as a fan and just going there to hang out and see people and stuff and uh, the first day I showed up uh I got a text from Milton the main or one of the main promoters there and uh he said uh basically that he was looking for me and to come to the office for some reason and I was like oh no what did I do like <laughs> what happened I just got here I I can't have <laughs> you know I can't have been breaking some kind of rule yet um but so yet. I I went down there and um <laughs> He was there, and Glenn, the the head honcho, was also there. And they basically said that, uh, unfortunately, uh, the band Terramaze had to drop off, I think for medical reasons, of one of their members. Um, they weren't allowing him to get on a plane because of some illness. But uh, uh, after that, they were basically like... Uh, we know you guys are good. Will you, do you want to play? Can you get everybody together? We need an answer by 5 PM. And it was like three. So I like bolted out of there and just started making phone calls <laughs> and like, can you guys get here tomorrow? And uh, it, it was so stressful just making that all happen on such short notice. But looking back on it, it was actually really fun to show up somewhere and just think I'm there to chill. And then, having to actually play the event <laughs> i think i'll tell milton you a little also... funny story oh, oh go, ahead. go ahead oh no please <laughs> i think milton also sent me a voice message um a little bit after he had talked to you jack and i remember listening i was taking a shower and i am like like a work addict and i do emails and stuff in the shower i'm sorry that i'm like this but anyway um i remember getting out of the shower and just like my entire body like shaking because I'm like, Oh my God, I have to get on a play plane and play this thing that is like the biggest thing that I've done. And this festival means a lot to me like personally um, because I had attended the year before and it was, it like just broke me out of this horrible burnout. So it was like, now it's my turn. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's. I had a funny story that I, I think you'd appreciate. There was a year where um, Mirath from Tunisia was playing the fest, and there was some sort of an – now, they, they knew they were playing. They didn't have two hours' notice, but they – to their credit, they did have uh, a little bit longer journey than you guys did. <laughs> but <laughs> but the reason I say that is because they there was some delay with their flights, so they wound up landing in, in the Atlanta airport getting to the venue about a half an hour before their set was supposed to go. No sound check, uh, no sleep. Uh, You know, it was just like a confluence of events that were just absolutely awful. And then they managed to just tear the place up. So uh, there seems to be something about this, like coming together at the last minute and then putting on a a fantastic performance. So um, I don't know how it works that way. I I'm just a fan, but, but I, I, but, something seems to come together when, uh, when, when everyone is sleep deprived and under a lot of stress. So um, it, it's, it's fitting. That sounds about right. I'm also not surprised because Mirath are just great. Yeah, no, no argument for me. They're, um, they're, they're fantastic. And, uh, you know, actually we should be doing an episode from them one of, one of these days just because uh, it's certainly well-deserved. But uh, if, I, if I let me pivot away from Prague Power for just one second, when you started writing um, Emerald Seas, had you, you know, just in terms of the creative process, do you begin with the orchestration or do you actually start with some of like the guitar riffs and, and, and whatnot and then kind of work your way back to the orchestration to, to, to fill up the song? It kind of depends. Um, 
just depends on the song, really. Uh, a lot of the ones that, let's see, a song like Succumb, a song like Every Crest, uh, The Trouble with Eternal Life, these started as piano and vocal pieces with a little bit of an orchestral sketch around it just to have the idea of, like, I want this type of lifting feeling or I want this type of very intense, very stressful feeling here. Um, and then Jack will come in and help me fill out the rest of the arrangement. We'll usually program drums together and I'll try to like poorly sing how I think the riff should be or like what kind of drum groove I'm looking for. And he'll be like, oh, you should put it in like this, right? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it could be anywhere from Adrian brings a song almost fully completed and sketched out um, with piano and vocals, and then we just need to add the rest of the stuff. Or maybe it starts from a riff that I came up with, and then we have to build the entire rest of the song around this one section. Or, um, you know, even something that we think is maybe kind of boring, and then we'll send it to either Pete or Chris, and they'll come up with a part that kind of inspires the vibe of the whole rest of the song. So it, it's really any way you can think of that makes sense to write a song, we've done it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, actually. Do you think that, um, you know, when you have like the, the, the diversity on an album like this, where you have, you know, it basically starts off as like this symphonic metal, power metal classic, and then just on the turn of a dime kind of takes this sharp, sharp turn. You know, did you kind of sketch it out that way? Did you have a feeling as to this is the approach we want to take? Or is that just kind of what developed as you began writing the songs? I, I think it's what needed to happen as we developed the story aspect of it. Um, I was just about to say, if you're familiar with the hero's journey as like a, a story writing trope, uh, and, you know, you start with the outset and it's like safe and familiar. And then as you go further, you start to encounter uh, more enemies. And then you have like this rock bottom moment, like two thirds through the story. And that's around where I think Drowner of Worlds sits on the yes. album. So, yes. so yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just oh, wanted to say the hero's journey thing. Go ahead. That that was pretty much exactly what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we it it happens that way. Not necessarily intentionally, but it just makes sense because these it's like a, a more intense, more stressful, darker, more brutal type of music. And I think that works really well for high conflict, high, high uh, brain is defecating the sheets. But I guess you get what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what was it like to um, to perform such uh, like different styles of vocals on just on the same album to go from like these really um, beautiful, clean vocals to like these, these like guttural, um, almost like black metal growls on a song uh, like Drowner of Worlds. Like what, what was that like uh, just for you personally getting to do, you know, these two different styles, which I personally think that you do very well. Um, what was that like for you? Oh, thanks a lot. Um, it's very satisfying I have a lot of feelings and I don't think that there's w one technique that can uh, properly express all of them. So to be able to have the freedom to say, I'm going to yell today or I'm going to sing <laughs> nicely today, it's it's very freeing. And it, I just, yeah, it's it's a way to feel understood in a way, I guess. A nice uh, I 
I, I would wonder if uh, I was going to say I would wonder if um, if if somebody didn't know any better if they would assume that it was two different vocalists. I, I was thinking that when I was listening to the album this week, like you know, obviously I knew the whole time that that you did all the vocal parts, but I'm wondering if like somebody didn't know if they'd be like, oh wow, they have a really great uh clean vocalist and the really great uh you know growl vocalist but um it's it's sure enough it's uh it's adrian both times so um i think i think it's impressive to be able to go um between those two styles and do it so seamlessly my favorite comment to hear about our stuff is who does the male vocals oh (laughs) that's awesome that's like (laughs) the biggest compliment who who does the male screams Yeah, it's funny. That's awesome. it, it, it's really nice both um, when we're recording or just when we're writing. I often ask, uh, you know, can you can you sing it a little bit like this? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> My man, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the ultimate compliment. So um, okay. when you when you know you like you have this diverse album and and you want to kind of hit the audience with you know, those, those YouTube singles, if you will, that kind of are always released before the actual album. How did you choose? Because you, you chose such diverse, um, representations of what the album ultimately became or what the album ultimately is. How did you choose the singles? Because you could have pr- probably gone with just about any of the tracks, um, because they're all so different. Thanks so much. It's, uh, definitely something that, is not easy to to find which ones we think are going to be, you know, the best standalone ones for people to hear first, uh, or what's going to give people a good impression of what the album is like overall. Um, but then we, we also have to think like what what's right for us artistically, because if we had thought about like just the audience, probably we should have put out Unmapped Darkness as a single. Mm-hmm. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you no, off. I just wanted ahead. to say that. Yeah, it's the same thought process here. It, it the, the answer is that it's hard to choose. <laughs> um, but one thing that we definitely feel very strongly about is that we want to make sure that every song stands on its own and it doesn't have to be part of this arty farty concept thing that, Oh, you, you don't understand if you, if you only listen to this one, you're not getting it. You know, like every song has to be a song on its own that can stand alone and be great. I think. Uh, Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, as we discuss albums every week, I think one of the things that Chris and I, and I'm sure he can, you know, echo these sentiments one of the things that we find is the best albums are the ones where every time you listen to it, you have a new favorite song, right? That the songs don't just get buried, you know, somewhere in the middle and you kind of forget them. It's, it's the albums where as you, every time you listen, you say, you know what? That song really stood out with this particular listen. And the next time you go back to it, you know, another song may just completely eclipse all the others. Um, and it's, I think the testament to the strength of this album that I've oscillated between a number of tracks as being like my personal favorite. Would you agree, Chris? Yeah. It's kind of like an ongoing theme, especially for like older albums. Um, one of us will without fail say like, you know, uh, when I listened to, you know, Gamma Rays Somewhere Out in Space when I was in high school, I never really thought, you know, Guardians of Mankind was a song that really resonated with me. But looking at it now, like, it, it's, it comes up almost every single time we do it. And I totally agree with what Justin said, because I've listened to 
Uh, I've listened to Emerald Seas every day so far this week in preparation for the the interview and the and the uh, the the podcast episode that we're going to do. And um, I find myself like having a a different favorite song each day that I listen to it. Maybe depending on what kind of mood I'm in or, or like how deep into the weeds with work I am at the time that I'm listening. But, um, there's, there really is like, I mean, if you like all types of metal, then you're going to love this whole thing. But if you don't, there's like, there's something for everybody on here. And, um, I want to say like, I think, um, to compliment your, your choice on the, on the first single being succumb, um, you know, we have a mutual friend who, when we were growing up, he was really big into metal like we were. And as he got older, he kind of fell, you know, away from it. And through this podcast, he's been kind of getting back into things. And, and he was listening to our, um, our favorite albums of 2020. We did a podcast kind of just talking about our top 25 albums of the year. And he kept coming back to that song as he's like, I listened to like, you know, all these bands that you guys picked for your favorite songs favorite artists or favorite albums of the year and this song succumb by seven spires is the one i keep going back to and and listening that really stands out so i think that you guys should take that as as a huge compliment that um like you know of all the albums that came out and all the songs that came out last year that that you know that one song was really memorable for somebody that uh is more of a casual you know metal fan that's really nice Uh, we definitely do take that as a huge compliment thanks for sharing Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure he'll be listening and he'll be happy to hear that he was brought up yet, yet again. So shout out to Nick. <laughs> I, um, I always love hearing when uh, even even people who don't like metal, like uh, some of maybe some of our family members or fans, family members that still like what we do, even if they're not like, you know, metal heads traditionally or whatever. Yeah, it was it was kind of like a real renaissance for him. Um, and, and it's interesting because now he's kind of getting really back into it again. Um, but I but succumb was kind of the catalyst for that because he, uh, you know, that was one of the first new things he's heard in many, many, many years. Um, and, and he's got a film scoring background. So for somebody like that, who who's in the who's in the industry and, and has been, you know, writing music for so long, I think it's a real testament to just the strength of that track. And, and now he's going to be forced to listen to the rest of the album, which is definitely a good thing for uh, for everybody. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about Drowner of Worlds to go from Succumb to Drowner of Worlds. But hey, that's the same order that we listened to those songs because they were the first two to come out. And so um, it'll be interesting. I'm sure he'll... Uh, yeah, he's also never heard a black metal song in his life, right? So, to, you know, <laughs> he doesn't know Dimu Borgir from, 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 you know, from Emperor, from, you know, you know Sesame Street. So it's going to be really interesting for, for someone like that. Sesame Street is my favorite black metal band. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And I, I was trying to move away from black metal, but no band was coming to me. So you, you get you get Sesame Street. But a- anyway, I, I, I digress. It, it's you know you mentioned we we've, we've talked about a couple of the songs on the disc. When I when I saw you guys live back in New York City, this was in uh, July of 2019. You had played two songs off the disc, which um, I, I guess you know the disc hadn't come out yet. So every crest and succumb were the two that I first heard when I saw you guys uh, in New York, was there any thought as to why you chose those particular songs for that tour? I mean, obviously you were focusing on the first album and you played eight songs from it. Uh, But, but you, you know, you you chose those two to, to, to kind of give the audience or at least the live audience uh, a taste of, of what was to come. Was there any thought between as to why those two? 
That's definitely a tough question. I uh, It's hard to remember why those were chosen. I, usually I feel pretty strongly about set lists and the order we play things and like what's a must play for a certain tour and whatever. So uh, my guess is that at least succumb we knew was probably going to be a single at that point. And that's why we chose it. And then every crest is really fun to play. So probably we chose that one for us. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. And, and I think it went over both songs really went over exceptionally well and kind of gave the listener at least a taste of, the happier part of the album, if you will, before things really kind of took a turn, as I said, you know, uh, about two thirds of the way through. So very, very interesting. And, and I have to say, you know, is it, is it difficult to sing those songs live or not, not so much those, I I guess, but when you're, when you're eventually, I guess, when you play a song like, you know, Drowner of Worlds live, I have to assume that that's, you know, quite the strain on, on, on the vocals to go back and forth so seamlessly. Um, Is that, is that a credit to your vocal coach or is that just something you've been working on? Um, yes, 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 yes to everything. Um, I, for, after I graduated university, I stopped taking voice lessons because I was stubborn and probably burned out on, on a lot. Well, basically everything, but, um, it is hard to sing them live just because they're hard songs. A lot of times when we're writing, you know, you're, you're probably supposed to think about what's it going to be like to sing these songs live and, I say, F that. I'm just going to write whatever makes the most sense emotionally and for the listener to like catch on to. And if it sucks for me, I'll just suffer. And that's how it is. Um, I do. I My teacher says that I'm good at switching back and forth and between like cleans and, and, and screaming and that sort of thing. And it is honestly like running a a triathlon would you run a triathlon participating I think for part in of it anyway but yeah. it, it gets, it, it gets, it's like you know the the shifting between the you know the running and then the bike riding and the swimming or whatever it is but it's just that that the shifting of the gears which is yep. uh, a lot of people can't do that right i mean there, if you look around so many bands have um not everyone has a bjorn street where they can do you know two different distinct types of vocals whereas uh you obviously can but so many bands actually have multiple people singing just because it's not the the lead singer can't do that right i mean i i just i don't ever want to be limited in my expression because of a lack of technique or ability so i i really went out of my way to make sure that i could do everything the hardest part is being able to do it for a long time because between like very high belting for long passages that most people would just do one or two money notes <laughs> and then right, right. doing like long screams right afterwards. It's um, just, it's quite, quite tiring. I used to just be like, no, it comes naturally, but it's tiring. <laughs> it's, it is hard. Not well, gonna, I appreciate the honesty. Um, I, I definitely do. W- one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I definitely noticed from the album um, Emerald Seas was that it actually, at least in my opinion, had more uh, quote unquote hooks um, then the debut, and by that I mean I the songs would like just really get just stuck in my head for for days on end. Um, you know, every time I listened to it, was that a conscious decision on your part, or was that just um the way the songs kind of developed over time? I mean, like obviously, Succumb is a good example, but even you know, Ghost of a Dream. I mean, all of these songs at, at different times just kind of get ingrained in your head, and I and I, I to me, it's I find it difficult to listen to music without those hooks. 
sometimes. So it, it was it was refreshing that this one just really um, resonated with me in that way. Is that was that a was that a conscious thing on your part, or is that just the way that the songs developed? That's awesome. It absolutely was a conscious decision. We had a whiteboard with all of the songwriting information uh, on it when we were working on this album, and there was a little square in the corner that said grooves, hooks, chops, and looks, which meant that we wanted to refine all of those things and just, you know, try to make them as best we could. So I'm happy that you picked up on that. Thanks a lot. I'm glad. Yeah, it, it no problem. It, it was, it, I mean, it, to me, it really, really, that was one of the things that really resonated. And I also, Jack, credit to you. I think your solos on this are just like, again, not, I, I love the debut album, but it, it will always have a soft space in my heart just because uh, it was, you know, the first thing I heard from you guys, but I thought that the solos really just took a step up on the second one. And I guess it's chalk it up to experience or what have you, but um, you, you really shred on this new thing. Thanks so much. I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that. I definitely put a lot of uh, like serious thought into the writing of the solos in more so than I used to. And um, I guess I was still sort of going through school at the point that I was writing stuff for the first album. So yeah, how, how old were you when you made Solvay? I have no idea. You were probably like 18. Like 12. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I see the solos as a, a chance for me to tell my own little version of the story really quickly or my own little version of the song. And um, yeah, it's, it's not just like I you know shred through a bunch of notes and call it a day unless the song really needs that and then that's fine <laughs> um yeah uh so anyway thank you uh i'd like to ask um it's i guess it's it's somewhat similar to to what justin asked but um was there anything from solvay that you specifically felt that you wanted to improve on or add to, or, or just, I mean, you know, they, they talk about uh, the sophomore slump and this is definitely not the case here. Um, what, what was some of your thoughts on, on how, how do you want to go about um, maybe, maybe it's, it's production or, or, or I don't know anything like what, what, what was some of the, did you have any, any critiques of that first album that you were like positive you wanted to, to try and improve on or just change going into the recording of the second album? Yeah, d definitely. Production was one of those. Um, Sasha path is our mixing engineer and uh, you know, he's in some various other projects and stuff. And we, we just love him to death. And he had a lot of things to say about the first album. Ah. <laughs> Sorry, Sasha. <laughs> um, you know, none of us were really uh, super into recording at that time. And we didn't even have Chris at that point. Um, the, the drums on the first album are programmed because um, we met Chris after the recording was done. So the biggest improvement I think is having Chris on there. Um, and I feel like the drum writing is a lot more musical for that reason. Uh, we wanted to improve everything about the recording and uh, I guess individually all of us wanted to play better and tastier than we did before. Definitely. Um, there's definitely something about recording your first album that is a really fun experience, but then you immediately hear all the things you could have done better. And so I think 
our goal was just, oh my God, we have to, we can't do that again. We have to do better than that. And nobody else will ever know. It's just right. like individually, it's all of our own thoughts about, oh, I, I played that riff so sloppy. I can't believe I let it go out like that. <laughs> you know? Totally. I, I, yeah, I get that completely. Um, that I, I, it's, it's always like you're always your, your own worst critic. Um, but I mean, the, the, the brain of, of a musician, I feel like it, it's got to be so like critical of everything that you do. And um, so I guess like a follow-up question that would be, um, do, is there anything that you think from Emerald Seas that, that could be improved upon? Or were you really happy with, with how it turned out? And I guess maybe the question would be, uh, maybe this is the kind of uh the kind of album that we want to kind of continue to put out going forward uh the thing about this is i don't think we could have done it better than we did it when we did it but if we could remake the album now Everything would be so much better. The orchestration would be better. My vocal technique would be like miles better. My screams would be lower or higher or more brutal. Um, my vocal arrangements would be like layered out the ass. And it would, you know what I mean? Like it would just be so much more epic. And um, how about you? What would you change? I, I, I think if you asked any of us this, you'd all get a different, very specific answer. <laughs> Um, and that's it definitely goes back to us being our own worst critics. And I think the hard part about being a recording artist um, and really caring about what you're, what you're doing is that you just have to put the damn thing out at some yes. point. Like, <laughs> and you have to put it out and people are going to love it and some people are not going to like it. And then you have to let it go and be what it is. It's a snapshot of where we were right then. And I think it's perfect for that. Um louder we can we can always go back and like you know put in better drum fills or like uh maybe we should have added violins there but it that's not the point it like it's not like you're gonna sit on stairway to heaven and be like oh we need to we need to hold off until we can record (laughs) that one a little better no put the damn thing out I, I'm know. so glad you said that. I, I, you know, in my line, I'm an attorney by, I don't just record metal podcasts. I'm actually an attorney by trade. And, and, and it's funny because when I, you know, when I used to do a lot of trial work, I would sit there and I would agonize over every single word of a particular question. Or if I was, you know, if I had to present a case to a jury, I would have to, I would agonize over the language I would use and how I presented it. And at a certain point, you just had to get up there and just do it. And it was what it was. And you just had to rely on your preparation and all the thought that went into it. Um, so I, I, like I said, I could not do what you do, but just from a professional standpoint, I appreciate what you're saying about at a certain point, you just have to put it out and then you move on to the next one, right? It just, you, it's, you can, you're always going to, you can always tweak things, but at a certain point, you just have to let it go. And I, and I could tell you as a musical lay person, which I most certainly am, I mean, for, for you to say, <laughs> there's like a, a whole bunch of stuff that you would have done differently is just so crazy to me because I listen to something like this and it's like, damn, this is pretty much perfect. Like uh, it's, but that that's the reason I asked because I know as, as musicians and especially as being your album, you know, you would feel differently than, than I would about it. I mean, to me, like, I don't even know if any of the changes that you would make 
I'd even notice like as a, as a lay, a lay person in, in music. I mean, I just listen to a lot of it. I don't really make any. So, uh, that's kind of, uh, how I feel about it. So, um, that that's cool. I, 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 um, I was more, I guess my, my question was more about like, um, if there's anything that maybe you, uh, learned from the experience that you're going to take into, um, you know, future recordings, um, not, as, not so much like uh, being critical of, of the album. Cause I don't Tell know me that all the much... reasons you hate yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we didn't want to tell you, but this is actually uh, therapy as well as a podcast. So, oh god, um, let me get. I'm, Wait, I'm good. How much at time now. do you have for free? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How much time do you? have? That's right. Uh, uh, just check really... my watch. Uh, you guys got plenty of time left on your uh, <laughs> your appointment here. So, okay, terrific. <laughs> well, it all started back when. No, I'm just kidding. Do you want to take this? No, no. Oh, was was that another question? Yeah, what did what did we learn? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so it it's tough to quantify that because every recording experience is like when you're in the studio and when you're when you're focused on songwriting or part writing or something, it's you're really zoomed in and looking at the absolute minutia. Um, and it's when you zoom out and you're not in that production anymore it totally changes your perspective on everything. And I think the main thing to take away from each of these albums that we've done so far is just that we've all cared so much to try to do the absolute best that we can in that moment. And as long as we do that and keep pushing ourselves outside of the studio musically, um, we're going to be in great shape every time great answer i was gonna say like oh i need to work on my tuning or something so <laughs> i'm glad you answered that one and not me well, yeah, that's that's what it is and it would be a different thing every time like maybe chris is concerned with his foot speed or i'm concerned with uh sweep arpeggios or whatever and nobody really cares about that kind of stuff <laughs> we care about that so that nobody else has to <laughs> thank you I keep keep putting out great albums i'll keep listening and you worry about the sweeping arpeggios i guess that uh, it works for everyone. Deal. Um, I, have, qu- qu- I have a I have a question. I just you you had mentioned working with Sasha Path in the past uh, or earlier in the interview, and I just wanted to ask you how much of an influence did he actually have on the songwriting, and how, how did the process work with him? Did you just send him a full bunch of demos, or did you send him completed songs? And you know, basically, what was the interplay with him? Because he's obviously worked on a number of discs. That um, to say that they are influential would be an understatement. This is. This is funny because he didn't write any of the stuff on our records, but he did write a lot of the stuff. And I didn't realize this. He wrote a lot of the stuff that I grew up on, which means that influenced me. So in a way, he did influence the writing on this record very strongly. And uh, when when I finally went to Germany to like work more closely with him and he played me a bunch of his demos and like other stuff that he'd written, I was like, Oh my God, I just met my dad. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but yeah, that's my contribution to that. Go ahead. Yeah, it's I for for Spires at least, uh Sasha is our engineer and he we send him finished songs. Uh he might get demos beforehand and just be like, Oh yeah, I like this one or I don't like this one, but um we we send him basically fully recorded and then he puts it together uh in the mixing stage. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Um, let, let's let's look ahead for a little bit, just because um, this 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 very very strong album comes out, and I, I think that it, it appears to me that the plan was to really just go tour heavy in 2021. I know that you had um, a tour with Insomnium and Omnium Gatherum scheduled for the for the spring, and then Amaranth and Battle Beast for the late summer. Obviously, both of those tours um, didn't happen because of COVID. But was that the plan, essentially, at least at first, to just really tour heavily for this album? Absolutely, yeah. Just, I mean, we were all dying to play shows more, and we had these two things lined up, and it was, like, our first, like, bigger kid U.S. tours. Yeah. Anything that, like, wasn't DIY, if you know what I mean. So we were so stoked about it. And, and I'll tell you something, there's a lot of bands, if you if you think back like 10 or, you know, 10 years ago or so, there were so many bands that wound up with opening slots for certain bands, bands like Delane, who then after touring and doing kind of like the opening thing for a while, came back and wound up doing headlining shows in front of really large audiences. So I have to think that the same thought process was here. And not only that, but you were kind of exposing uh, the band to two very different types of music, right? You had your like melodic death metal tour set up and then you had the more, um, more symphonic or just more like, you know, quote unquote female fronted tour that was set up for later in the year, but with, with two presumably different audiences. I would guess pretty different audiences, but I would also guess that maybe more mellow death fans like Amaranth than they would necessarily want to admit Yes, I'm. Yes. I'm one of them. I I love <laughs> all four of the bands that we would have been yep. touring with. I, they're all like an regular playlist for me. So, if nothing else, I was going to have a lot of fun listening yeah, to man, it every we night. Were have a great time. I was yeah. like, I can't wait till we can like dance in the Amaranth Pit every night and, and like cry in the Insomnium yeah, Pit. I, yep, <laughs> we played one the one show with Insomnium, and um, because I had like my little artist pass, I was able to stand in the photo pit during uh, one of my favorite Omnium Gatherum songs and I just like stood there and cried and watched them because they're you know, so good it, live it's it, they are mm-hmm. yeah and I love like Marcus Van Halle's writing style and his playing style and like he I don't know what he's wearing sometimes but I love what <laughs> <laughs> but I love watching him if on you're stage. listening we love you Marcus we, we love you Marcus please <laughs> please have us back <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, you know, it's, 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 it's gotta be a a shame. And I, and I guess the question is being that the year just wasn't what anyone expected. Um, you know, I, I, I assume with the new album, you'll be touring or the plan is to tour. And that was actually one of the questions that we got from one of the listeners with with guidelines kind of easing up. What are the future tour plans as we, as we look ahead to 2022? Uh, unfortunately, I mean, the guidelines are easing up and we're seeing this little bit of light on the horizon, but it's still so up in the air right now. Um, and there's no way to know for sure, at least on a major scale, if things are really going to start happening until they happen, you know? Um, right. But definitely that's the first thing all of us want to do right now is get back out and play music for you guys and play shows and travel. And that's, we're all dying inside every day mm-hmm. that yeah. we're not doing that. You guys can come to my house and play if you want. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, you got your fir- your first show booked. Um, I-, I have to ask this. You know, the year obviously was different than we expected. How did you? How did you kind of? Um, spend the time. Was it writing the new, writing the soon-to-be-released album that's coming out later this year, or was it um, working on your multitude of side projects? What, how exactly were you, you know, kind of spending your your 2021 as we were all locked in the house? 
Jack and I hold up for like six months and just wrote sad music. And every day it was like, wake up, work out, write music, try not to drink ourselves to sleep, <laughs> and repeat. Right. Yeah, I think I think that that was, w- without the songwriting, I think that was basically the six months for all of us, just because there was so little else to do and, and, and whatnot. Um, is, also, is, don't get me wrong, the quarantine music- more than six months, but six of it was spent writing. Yeah. So don't and, don't think and, we went well, to freaking Florida and just like breathed on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. Um, will will that will that music eventually see the light of day, or is a lot of it still uh, just demos that are kind of kicking around? Th- that is the upcoming album. Oh, awesome! Great. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting to think about because if we had been touring the whole year, I wonder how different that music actually would have ended up being. Mm. Um, we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a fair question, right? Because if, if if you had been out on the road, I don't know that you ever would have necessarily. I mean, I guess you could. I guess you could have spent you know May, June, July writing the album, but I don't know that it would have had the same mindset as as to having essentially lost that 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 first tour. Um, I think you're probably all in a different mental place at that point. Yeah, we talked. We had talked about just some of the stuff that we got to hear because of the pandemic that we wouldn't have heard otherwise. Like you know, I bring up um, that uh, kind of like super, that YouTube super group at the movies, those guys doing the, um, you know, just the different cover songs and stuff. It's like, I guess it's everybody just had a totally different free schedule in front of them. So it changed so much of what, you know, would have happened. And it it's, it's not just, you know, what we lost, but I think there's a lot of stuff that, we gained from it too, that we might not have gotten, you know, bands that, or, 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 you know, band members that had some free time to do stuff and didn't have to spend so much time on the road. So like, you know, I I would imagine that your next album would be completely different than it would have been had there not been a pandemic. So um, that makes me really excited about, about hearing it and just knowing like what kind of place that the songwriting came from and, I think it's going to be something that, you know, so many people are going to be able to resonate with. I really hope so. It's definitely um, very emotionally raw and honest. It's also not about the pandemic, but I think it's stuff that a lot of people will be able to relate to, at least lyrically. Right. And I so, mean, you know, we, as, as we kind of mentioned at the outset, the, the new single, The Cursed Muse, um, dropped this week. What are the plans? And, and fantastic song, by the way. I'm, I'm looking forward to to hearing more. Are there plans for more singles? And, and I had heard that the, the album is going to be released this fall, or at least tentatively, that was the plan. Is that is that still uh, is that still what you were looking at? Yeah, it is. Um, the the first single is sort of uh, an appetizer for what is to come. We're, we're going to release... Uh, a few more singles before the album is going to come out. And I think all of that will be announced relatively soon. So I don't want to spill the beans before I'm able, but uh, expect, expect more soon. Looking, looking forward to it. And then I guess I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this. How, how has the uh, relationship with frontiers been? Because they, you know, it's funny. They, I always thought of them as like that melodic, uh, melodic hard rock label, but they've really kind of expanded their repertoire just kind of branching out into different areas and, and, and certainly with you guys not really fitting that melodic hard rock mold. Um, it's, it's, it's gotta be good for you. 
Yeah, it's uh I mean, we don't necessarily have anything to compare it to because it's the, you know, our first signing with a label um sure. and it's been it's been really helpful in a lot of ways. It's been confusing at times. We've had a lot of questions answered and, you know, it's good to just have like some extra people on the team so we don't have to do everything ourselves and worry about you know, marketing and social media and press and stuff, you know, all ourselves. Um, you know, it's definitely a very complex machine uh, working with a, a big uh, label like that. But I think it's been beneficial in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that. Well, we're looking forward to it. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask um, if there was anything else that you were working on or anything else that you want to kind of just bring to uh, the listeners in attention while, while, you have, while you have an outlet, because um, I, I can only imagine that the creative juices are flowing in a number of different ways. I don't know whose creative juices are flowing, but it sure, aren't, sure isn't mine. Sure, <laughs> sure ain't mine. <laughs> I, I feel like we tapped just, out we, for a bit. Yeah, we did so much this year that I just... I, every day on the almost every day I sit down at my DAW and I try to work on um, these like metal arrangements of not metal songs for my patrons and some days I'm like here's a really great brass arrangement and some days I'm like I I can't I'm gonna go play video games or like go lift some weights or so I just can't how about you yeah I'm I'm kind of in the same boat I I was talking to uh my friend John from my other band threads of fate the other day. And uh, I was just like, dude, I haven't written anything in months, which is so weird for me. Mm. Um, you know, normally there's always like, you know, a little idea here and there, or I have some album project to work on, but it, it's just been so dry since we finished um, this new Spires album that I guess that means that I need a break and that we need a break, but, hopefully that when it comes back, it's going to be fresh and exciting and fun again. You know, normally the break would be okay. Time to go on tour now. Yeah. I, I was going to yeah. say the much needed break, unfortunately never came. And that's why I, I think we're all experiencing a little bit of a burnout in our own, uh, in our own, in our own lives. Um, I think we all need that release. You need to play and I need to be, you know, up front so that I can, uh, you know, rock out again. It's been, it's been far too long, unfortunately for all of us. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, we I think the last show, together. the last show I went to, I think was the uh, Motley Crue 1987. <laughs> um, I think Poison opened. It, it's, at least that's the way it feels. Um, honestly, the last show I saw was Trans Siberian Orchestra in 2019. That was the last time I saw a live concert. Wow. wow. So Damn. yeah, we're we're itching for it. You know, I was gonna, I wanted to ask. Um, Adrian, you mentioned uh, video games, and, and we're both avid gamers. Um, do, do you have any uh, musical influences that kind of make it into Seven Spires um, songwriting that comes from gaming? Because I, there were times where I was listening to this album, and I, I almost like when I was getting like kind of deep into my work and not paying super close attention, it was almost like in my mind I was kind of whisked away to like uh, – almost like a, a game world or like a final fantasy or, or a legend of Zelda or something like that. I was just curious if there was any influence there. Absolutely. Uh, Zelda soundtracks were a huge, huge influence on me. Uh, I really loved wind waker music. Um, as a kid, that was probably 
I mean, it's not an album, but I spent so many hours in that game that it's just impossible for it to not uh, sink into my brain. And uh, Xenoblade is probably the other one that is most prevalent in my influences. Uh, The Xenoblade Chronicles that came out in like 2012 for the Wii. Um, Just another gorgeous, gorgeous soundtrack. Even the menu music. Like, I feel like I want to cry every time I hear it because it, it just... There's something about uh, JRPG composers that they really just know how to like touch your soul. You know what I mean? Oh, without a doubt. I I just actually finished playing Xenoblade uh, a couple a couple of months ago. I missed it when it came out for the Wii, so I got the the Switch uh, remake of it, and um, I put over I think 120 hours into it. Like I was absolutely obsessed, and and the soundtrack was fantastic. I, I've I'm been putting off playing the second one. I have it. I just haven't gotten to it yet. But um, I yeah, it was just something I I I'm so I, I you know I will sit and listen to you know the Final Fantasy VI soundtrack while I'm working, or I'll listen to Iron Maiden. Like I I connect quite a bit with both of those types of music, so I'm always kind of listening out for. Um, I think I had mentioned like we were, when we were talking about Symphony X, I said something about like cer- certain Symphony X songs sound like they could be in a Castlevania game. So like mm-hmm. I'm always thinking about where metal and and video games could could be you know married, and I definitely got a sense of that uh, while listening to to your guys' album. Um, so yeah, I just thought I would just throw that out there. I guess I was uh, I was right on that call. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm happy you picked up on that. I think it's just like the video game soundtracks can be so, like you said, transportive and also so, so emotional. I mean, I sometimes it, it uh, what am I trying to say? I don't know. Game scores are, are so powerful and they have to really enhance the experience for the player. But I think a lot of that really sticks with the with the player. And, and uh, when you hear certain things that you first experienced in that game and then you hear it somewhere else, it, it kind of uh, reawakens those same feelings just in a new context. And so, yeah, that's, that's a whole different can of worms though. Yeah. That could be on our, our next interview episode that we do with you guys after you play live in my backyard. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, we want to thank you both. Um, it's been a real treat for us and, and, and we certainly look forward to hearing more music from you guys and obviously, when you hit the road again, um, we will certainly be there because um, it's something we're all longing for. So, for, sincerely, thank you both very, very much, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your time, and uh, we hope to see you on the road soon. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, it's always great to nerd out about our stuff. So, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's been super fun. Thanks, guys. No problem. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll talk soon for sure. Sounds great. Yeah, thank you both again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Have as a well. good one. Take care. 